You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Adrian Rogers tells a story of an old farmer that came to Christ and um, understanding and grasping the love of the Lord. He just was a kind of individual that every time he came into a service in this kind of a large First Baptist kind of a proper church, he would just, in worship, he would just lose himself in worship. He would just begin to shout. He would begin to jump. He would begin to just carry on in such a way that finally uh, some of the deacons, they went to his home and they went up to this old country home, this old raggedy looking frame house and walked up on the porch, knocked on the door. This just no country family. This woman came to the door and they said, Could, we're looking for your husband. She said, well, he's down there. He's, he's plowing. He's getting a field ready. She said, you'd probably catch him down there. So these entourage, these deacons, they went to this old farmer and they looked at him and they said, listen, uh, how you doing? He said, fine. He says, good to see you men here. And uh, he began to immediately just get excited. He was talking about what God was doing in his life. And these deacons began to say, well, you know, that's all good, but uh, you need to kind of tone it down a little bit. You you know, you've become somewhat of a distraction and we're beginning to get a little bit of complaints from some of the membership. And he said, well, I, you know, he's just no country farmer he said you know men the overalls you know all sweaty he said men he said I understand listen I, I I'm, I'm sorry he said but you know and I go in there and I think well I'm, I'm just I'm going to try to be a little calmer and he said but when I get in there and we begin to sing those songs and we begin to talk about Jesus and we begin to talk about what he's done for us how he's paid our sin debt how he's covered us by his grace and his mercy and his mercies are new every morning and, he, and where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And before long, he got to jumping around out there in the field and he said, man, he said, I just get excited about that. He said, y'all forgive me. 106,000 people gathered at Mississippi State soaking rain and rang a cowbell for hours most of the time standing on their feet, paying homage to a team on a field. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that heaven stands at attention, joining us in praise and worship. And over in Zimbabwe, Midian Chitsede led those people under a covering and they worshiped and praised God. And you and I are a part of a reverberating. It's like a tidal wave that sweeps all around the globe. And it says, Jesus Christ, He is Lord. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You love us. We thank You, dear Lord, for Your goodness and Your mercy and Your grace. We praise You, dear Lord, because we are fearfully and wonderfully made, but we are made in your image. Sin has marred that image. Sin has scarred us, bruised us, beaten us up. But in your mercy and your grace, you stepped into a fallen world. You paid for our sin. You set us free. And we give you glory for that. Lord, we're not worshiping a pigskin today. We're not worshiping a game that will amount to nothing in eternity. What we are worshiping 
is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you for those coaches. I thank you for those players that in the midst of their success, they give you the honor and glory. They do like John the Baptist. They just point to Jesus and say, this is all about the Lord. That's what it's all about. That's what's important. And so, Lord, we thank you. And I pray, dear Lord, you'd cleanse me. You'd let me be a vessel that you can use today. And we give you the glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You can be seated. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, and the title of the message today is Faith, Faith, the Hinge of Grace. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 15. Now let me say something here. Everybody look this way. When I get started preaching, don't go out these doors right here. If you've got to go to the bathroom, just squeeze real tight and hang on, and I probably will try not to keep you too long, okay? This will probably be a little bit shorter sermon and, uh, but I need you to listen and to be, and to be very attentive. Now, I, what I'd like to do today, and I'll have to say something because on the website, people who listen, they'll need to know what I'm doing as well. But I'm walking off the, behind, out from behind the pulpit. I'm walking away from the platform, and I'm going to a door here that exits out of our sanctuary. Now, this is important for you to understand this. I want you to think of it this way. Out here is, listen, this is the kingdom of God. This is heaven. This is the domain of our creator. In here is creation. It's walled in by time and space. And this is creation. Now, uh, what I want you to see is this. I want you to think of these doors as the grace of God. In fact, let's just say that. The, the, uh, let's just say the doors are grace. The doors are what? They're grace. Now the hinges that these doors swing on is faith. So we're going to say the door is what? The door is, is grace and the hinge is what? It is faith. Now I want you to notice something. Both of these components are involved in the entrance of you and I between these two worlds. So when we talk about the hinge of grace is faith. You need, to, you need to keep that picture in your mind, okay? So are you with me? Say amen. Now in Genesis chapter 15, last week we looked at this. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, God says to Abram, now Abram has gone, and I'm going to tell you this much. I went back and listened to Reggie's sermon on the path of pleasure. I haven't finished the, pla- the path of promise yet. But every single member of this church and those that are listening on our website need to listen to that message because he did an excellent job talking about what drove Lot to make the decisions. And I want you to know something. What drove Lot and what led him down the path of pleasure can often even drive the believer if we're not careful. So you go back and listen to that. But anyway, Lot is rescued by his uncle Abram. And that's a picture of the church. That's a picture of Christ. Now, in chapter 15, we, we, we talked about this last week, when you and I take a stand for the faith, when we boldly stand for the faith, when we're in the, when we're in the business of going and rescuing, there's a cost to that. 
And so perhaps Abram was a little concerned. He was, he was worried. Perhaps with only 318 men, he had defeated kings and kingdoms. And so there could have been the possibility of retaliation, of revenge. So in Genesis 15, God says to Abram, He says, Abram, now listen to this, do not be afraid. Look at your neighbor and say that. Now say it like you mean it. Do not be afraid. Now, now listen, God says, Abram, do not be afraid. Number two, God says, I am your shield. Now I want you to say, Jesus Christ is our shield. Say that to one another. Okay, so God says, do not be afraid. Number two, he says, I am your shield. That means I'm going to protect you, Abram. I'm watching over you. And you and I positionally are in Christ. We are protected, protected by Christ. And then thirdly, he says something, and I love this. God says to Abraham, I am your very great reward. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, Jesus is our reward. Isn't that great? So he says, don't be afraid. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of you. Don't be worried. I'm your shield. I'm your cleft. I'm your rock. I'm your refuge. I'm your harbor. He says, I'm your very great reward. And I used that last week. I said, uh, you know, when I came home from Zimbabwe, the team came home. You know, when Sheila was standing there, she wasn't jumping up and down saying, what'd you bring me? What'd you bring me? She just kept looking at me and for the next several days would say to me, I'm just so glad you're home. She just wanted my presence. She did not need my provisions. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Some of us in this room are spiritually immature. We desire the provisions of God rather than the presence of God and that is a problem. So... Don't be afraid. I'm your very great reward. Now, as we move on in verse 2, we see here, and we looked at this last week, but we're going to pick up here. There are three factors. There are three things that I want you to see today. Number one, I want you to see the question. Number two, I want you to see the promise. Number three, I want you to see the faith. Okay, the question, the promise, and the faith. Now, picking up at, at verse 2, But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? Now, the covenant promise could not be fulfilled because he's sitting there going, How can it be fulfilled when I'm in my 80s and I don't even have a child? So he said, I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. In other words, that was his banker. He said, the bottom line is my business manager, my banker, is going to receive the inheritance because he's the only one there. God, I don't understand. Now watch this. Verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. My dad is 85 years old. My mom has passed away. Now, I would be shocked if my dad said, Son, I'm going to remarry and I think I'm going to have another family, so get ready. But anyway, he said, My dad listens every week, so he'll get a tick, he'll get kick out of that. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, Look up at the heavens. And count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so then shall your offspring be. Now look at verse 6, dog ear this page, circle it and underline it. 
This is the main pillar of what you and I believe about our theology of salvation. Because in verse 6, it says what? Abram did what? What did he do? He believed the Lord and he, that is God, credited it to Abram as righteousness. And that's critical for you and I to know. Now, number one, we go back and we look at the question. It is genuine, it is real. You know what, you know what Abram says? God begins to talk about how he's, he says, he, don't be afraid, I'm your shield, I'm your very great reward. You know what Abram does? He says, wait a minute, God. I don't understand. I'm 80-something years old. You told me that my descendants, you told me that you was going to bless me with a lineage. I am 80-something years old and I don't even have a child. First of all, and it is critical here, Abram brings his question to God. He just simply says, God, I don't understand. He's not bitter. He's not angry. He's not saying, God, this is not fair. Why me? He's just simply saying or asking God, God, how is this going to happen? Now hear me. There is nothing wrong when you and I are on this spiritual journey and things don't seem to be working out the way we thought to ask God for some clarity. To simply say, God, I don't understand. Now look this way. If you are systematically in God's Word, in prayer, in the fellowship of, a, of other believers, God will begin to clarify and make clear what you and I are having questions about. That is critical if we do it in the right spirit. You know, sometimes we're shaking our fists toward God. We're saying, God, it's not fair. This is not right. Why me, God? And we get bitter and we're angry. Let me tell you what God will do when you and I are responding like that. Sometimes He won't do nothing. Now, before you feel too guilty, let me remind you of something. Job, the most righteous man on the earth, a man God said was blameless, a man that God held up before Diabolus, Satan, and picked a fight with the devil. You know what Job did? Job becomes so upset in the midst of his suffering. He said, God, oh, that you were a man that I might sit you down and reason with you. God didn't get upset with that, but I can tell you what God did for about 30-something chapters. He didn't say a word. And when he finally spoke, you know what he did? He said, Job, sit down and shut up. I've got something to ask you now. Where were you when I created the earth? What does the earth rest on? You tell me. How do you suspend the, this, this globe, this earth, and suspend it in space and revolve it around? Job, tell me the mysteries of the universe. Job, tell me about the animal kingdom. You answer some questions. God put Job on trial. But here's the question. And then there's the promise. God doesn't slap Abram's hand. He doesn't reprimand Abraham. Abram, he goes on to say, listen, Abram says he's 80-something years old. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God, I'm 80-something years old. I'm running out of time. I mean, God, I'm taking two Viagra every morning and it ain't doing a dime's worth of good. She still ain't pregnant. You know what God says? Abram, come here. Come on, Abram. He takes him out there and he says, Abram, I want you to look up at the heavens. Abram, what do you see? And Abram said, you know, God, I see, scar, I see stars. And, and, and God says, Abram, try to count them. And Abram looks and says, God, I can't count them. They're beyond counting. And God whispers and says to Abram, Abram, your descendants will be like the stars. Eighty-something years old, taking two Viagra a day, and nothing's happening in his marriage. He doesn't have a child. 
There's the promise of God. Let me tell you what God did. God not only expounds the promise, God expands it. Number three is the faith. Now look at verse 6. When all this happens, what does Abram do? <clears throat> Abram just says, I don't know. <laughs> I tell you. Oh my. You know what Abram, you know in verse 6, there's a pivotal verse in all of the Bible. It said that Abram bro- believed the Lord. That's faith. He believed the Lord and God credited to him as righteousness. Let me read James Montgomery Boyce. Boyce made this statement. He said, in the middle of this chapter occurs what most considered to be the most important verse in all the Bible. Genesis 15, 6, in, in the doctrine of justification by faith, is set forth for the first time. This is the first verse in the Bible explicitly that speaks of faith, righteousness, and justification. We know that faith existed before Abram for Abel, Enoch, and Noah, according to Hebrews eleven five 5 through 7, and other godly patriarchs were saved by it. It was, now listen to what Boyce says, it was through faith on the basis of imputed righteousness. And we'll talk about that in a minute. The imputed righteousness of Christ that God justified these Old Testament figures as Paul clearly states in Romans three twenty one through 26. Boyce goes on to quote Thomas Watson, another uh, theologian. Thomas Watson states, justification, listen to this, is the very hinge and the pillar of Christianity. Boyce continues, it answers the question of how a man or a woman can be right with God. He concludes a work righteousness solely by the work of Christ and received by faith in Christ is the only one to be saved. Now let me say this, John, uh, James Montgomery Boyce is a Calvinist. And, and when I was doing the book of Ephesians, uh, we spent time looking at the tension between the Calvinist camp, theological camp, and the Arminian camp. And one stresses the sovereignty of God, the other stresses the free will of God. And, you know, I, I said to you, Southern Baptists, I think the reason that God has blessed us is that somehow we don't get called up sometimes in this systematic theological argument here. We're known as people of the book and not the institutes of the Christian faith as written by John Calvin or Arminian writers. What James Montgomery Boyce is saying is that only by faith, and that means to receive what God has promised, lambano in the Greek, are we able to experience salvation. This is what we said here at the door. Grace is the door. The hinge is what? Faith. I wrote this down. The only way to appropriate the free gift of God's grace is by faith. To believe God at His Word. One writer said this, God is the cargo. Think of it as a train. You've got a train. God is, grace is the cargo. Faith is the tracks that get the cargo where it needs to go. Does that make sense? So here you have God's grace in a cargo, uh, in the cargo of a train, and the track is faith by which it's able to be appropriated into your life and mine. Number one, God's grace is sufficient for everybody. Number two, that grace is appropriated by faith. This is why the writer of Hebrews said, without faith, it is impossible to please God. The just live by faith. 
Prayer is initiated, energized by faith. So here you have God's grace, the door. Here you have faith, the hinge that opens up the door of God's grace so that you and I are able to experience it. I wrote this down. As a Southern Baptist pastor with an earned doctorate from a Reformed Calvinistic school who spent, did much, some of my study, a good bit with R.C. Sproul, after 35 years in the ministry, I am convinced that Southern Baptists have been blessed and have been strengthened by their commitment to the Word of God over the systematic theological position of either Calvinist or Arminian. Abram believed God, and the Bible said that it was credited to him, and there is the Hebrew word there, hashab. It is a counting term. And it, what it means is that when Abraham believed God, God credited to his count, to his account, the righteousness of Christ. James Montgomery Boyce said this, and I want you to listen closely. And I don't want to spend a lot of time here. I'm not trying to pick a fight. James Montgomery Boyce, who again is a Calvinist, made this statement. He said, in order to spend a $20 bill, you have to have faith in the purchasing power. In other words, in Zimbabwe, their dollar is no longer a value. It, it failed, it collapsed, so now they use the U.S. dollar. But in order to spend a $20 bill, you have to have faith in the purchasing power. Boyce continues, but it is not your faith that is the basis of the purchase. It is the value of the money. Now, let me respond to that. He's right, but without a purchase... With the $20 bill, there is no faith. Martin Luther made this statement. Martin Luther did not like the gospel of the, the book of James. He called it the gospel of straw. Uh, Martin Luther would actually, he actually rearranged his Bible according to putting some books in different places as to how he saw the credibility of one book over another. And when it came to the book of James, he called it the gospel of straw. And one of the things that bothered him was that faith without works is what? You see, you and I literally, I agree with what Boyce is saying. In order to spend a $20 bill, you have to have faith in the purchasing power of the $20 bill. But it is not your faith that is the basis of the purchase. It is the value of the money. I disagree with that. Because without the purchase, without you and I making the purchase, there is no faith and there is no purchase. If we don't believe in the $20 bill, then the $20 bill, in essence, is ineffective. Because of faith, because of grace, they work so much together that it says here that Abram believed God. And because he believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. That is a powerful terminology, some term there. In fact, take your Bibles and take a right and go over to Psalm 32. Psalm 32, I love this. Because in Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, and you may say, well, why even get on this? Because it continues to be a source of disagreement within our own convention. But in chapter, in Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2, listen to this. Blessed is he whose transgressions are what? Are forgiven. Whose sins are what? In the NIV it says covered. So blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. That is a, that's an accounting term there. And in whose spirit 
is no deceit. Now I want, this is critical. How can a man or woman be right with God and be saved? Through Jesus Christ. By the grace of God, demonstrated through Christ, and by your faith in simply doing what Abram did. He believed God, God credited righteousness of Christ to his account. Now, now stay with me here, this is critical. Does God simply say to you and I, when we come to him, does he simply just go, okay, we'll just forget it. Let's just forget about your sin. Let's just forget about it. You're forgiven. I've written it off. So you just go on now. Yes, you're saved. I've, yes, you're in the Lamb's book of life. Does God just simply, when we, when we come to the point of conversion and we fall on our knees under the repentance of sin and we ask Christ to come into our heart, does God look down from heaven and say, well, okay, okay, I, I see that, thank you. I forgive your debt. It's, it's taken care of. Just forget it. And now let's write it off and move on. Absolutely not. Now this is critical this will set you free. Number one, God, when you reach this point under the conviction of sin, you say, God, I agree with you. I confess. I'm a sinner. I'm separated from you. I deserve hell. But I know that Christ loved me and he died on that cross for me. When this happens right here, this moment, God takes your sin debt, my sin debt, puts it on Christ's account. When he went to the cross... He paid the sin debt of the entire world. What does that mean? It's simply this. Going back to the door here. This is in essence. This is creation. Time and space. All of a sudden we had the virus of sin. And when the virus of sin came in here by way of the free will of Adam and Eve and a decision, when they brought evil, when evil began to come in, sin become in, comes into creation. Listen, this is what God does. God, and the Shona people say it in Africa, God, God put on the flesh of man, becomes one of us. God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Behold the Lamb of God who washes away the sins of the world. God wraps our flesh, steps into our existence, into time and space, and he takes the sin of every, he takes the virus of sin of this entire place and he takes it upon himself. He takes your sin debt, he takes my sin debt, and he writes these words paid in full to Leo. It's finished. That's why he ended on the cross by saying, It is finished. Because he had. Sealed. He had written, taken the sin debt of the world, your sin, every single sin, every thought, every deed, and he nailed it to the cross. And it was paid. It was paid in full. Now this is, this, it gets better. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's getting ready to get better. He not only transferred your sin debt and my sin debt to the account of Christ, who's the only one that can pay the sin debt because he was a spotless lamb of God. Number two, he transfers Christ's righteousness to whose account? To ours. At the same time when I'm saying, God, I'm a sinner, I'm separated from you, I deserve hell. Oh God, I repent of my sin and I see the weight of it. I ask that Christ 
come into my heart and be my Lord and my Savior, my Master, controlling the decisions of my life. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. In that moment, two transactions are taking place. My sin debt is put on Jesus' account. His righteousness is now on my account. Wow. Whoo. Forgive me, but in Zimbabwe, they jump up and start dancing. I looked at Jeff Ainsworth and I said, I miss Betsy dancing in the aisle. And if she gets, she has my permission to do so. She doesn't need it anyway. You see, listen to this. Where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. You know what that means? The sin debt is paid because grace is greater than your sin and my sin. His mercies are new every morning. Now you may say, well, wait a minute, then I can just sin. That means I can just sin, then I can sin. Well, wait a minute now. When, I, when we reach this point and we ask Christ to come into our heart and life, who's now living in us? Who's living in us? Who, what are we? We are the temple of what? The Holy Spirit. So now Christ is living in me. So now when I sin, guess what happens? All hell is breaking loose inside of me. The Holy Spirit is battling with this fleshly nature and they are warring within. And we may sin, but it's just such heartache, it's just such grieving in our soul that we get down on our knees and say, oh God, forgive me. God, help me not to do that again. Because it hurts too bad inside of me. Hey, listen, if it doesn't hurt, you need to come to the altar. So here's the promise. God answers Abram. He not only answers Abram, he, tell, he, he not only answers it with his promise, he not only clarifies his promise, he magnifies it. Let me, let me tell you how important this is. God will stretch you and I to the limits of our faith. You know what God will do? You'll get laid. Look, you'll be right here. And God will say, well, you know, you'll say, God, I've, I've come a long ways, God. Look at me. I'm right here on the edge. And God says, that's good. Now let's take another step. <laughs> God, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but the next step is going to really cost me something because there is no next step. Well, there will be when you take it. You see, what God does is God stretches our faith. He pushes us to the limits. He doesn't say to Abram, Abram, I don't, well, you're right, Abram, and I, maybe if you'll increase the four Viagra today. I know that's a bit much. It may stress your heart. Uh, Abram, do you have a heart problem? You may want to rethink that Viagra. He doesn't, listen, God doesn't back off from the promise. This man has no children. God says, come outside. You see the stars? He not only clarifies the promise, he magnifies it. Let me give you an example. Imagine I sit my four kids down and I tell my four kids, now stay with me and we'll close in a moment. I tell my four kids, I want you to get all your debts together. Now some of them, they got a lot of debt. Houses, practices, property or whatever. I say, look, get all your debt together and I want you to bring it to me because I'm going to pay it off. Now, I know we're, I don't know, Jeffrey's sitting right outside that door, but I know, man, he'd be there. Ledge would be there. Amy and Emily would be there. But they'd also look at me and they'd say, Dad, how are you going to do this? We know what you make, and we know you ain't got a lot of money, 
And Dad, you drive an old junky car. Dad, there's no 1992 Murphy debt. We know you ain't got the money to pay off our debt. Or they think I don't. And I simply say to my kids, listen, you bring all your debt, and then I look at them, even though they're, even though they're struggling and asking how, I look at them and say, listen, I'm not only going to pay your debt, I'm going to set up... Now listen to me. Say amen if you're listening, because this is critical. I'm not only in the process, I've not only paid your debt, I will pay all your debt as long as you live. I've set up a trust fund that will cover all your debt, no matter how much debt you accrue the rest of your life. I don't know about you, but unlike God, we don't want to stick our neck out. You ever notice that? You tell somebody, listen, there's this Italian restaurant. They got the best pasta you'll ever eat. Breadsticks, salad, unbelievable. The service is just great. I mean, the atmosphere is to die for. And dessert gets you, listen, gets you a cappuccino, gets you one of those Italian desserts. This restaurant is unbelievable. Then let me ask you something. Why do we tend not to do that with a restaurant? Let me tell you why. We don't want to stick our neck out. Because we think to ourselves, sure as I say that, it'll be the worst thing that ever happened. The pasta will be dry and hard and the appetizer will be cold and, you know, it'll just be a bad experience all the way around. I'm not going to stick my neck out. Let me tell you what God does. You know what God does? God not only makes you and I promises within the scripture. You know what he does? He just, when, we, when we're questioning his promise, God just says, come here. I'm not going to clarify the promise. I'm going to magnify it. I'm going to make it even more than you thought. Listen, let me go back to this illustration. My kids look at me. Now, this is critical. My kids look at me and they say, Dad, you don't know how bad my debt is. You, I haven't told you, Dad, you don't know just how bad off I am. We are under. We are sunk. There is no way, Dad. Bring it to me. Paid. Now, this is where I want you to listen, and I'll even let you stand up within five minutes. And if I don't, Henry, you go ahead and stand, and that means everybody else can stand. Because this is critical. I write paid on all their debt. They're in the clear. They don't owe no debt. Now I told them, hey, listen, on top of that, any future debt that you have, I've already set up a trust that's paid for, it's covered. Now listen to this, and, and this is critical. If you don't hear anything else, listen to this. Amy looks at me and says, Dad, you don't know how much debt I have accumulated. You don't know how bad my stewardship practices are, Dad. I've got bad spending habits. I've got bad behaviors. Dad, I've got, I've got a bad attitude about money. Dad, I find it difficult to be able to control my spending. Dad, I have a problem. Now, are you listening? I hope you're listening. I hope you've got your spiritual antennas up real high. I look at her and say, listen, Paid. And full. I've not only excused her sin debt in the past, I've excused her sin debt to the end of her life. 
and I've made provisions to cover it. You and I may say, Lord, you don't know my sinful habits. You don't know how ungodly my behaviors are. You don't know how difficult it is in those fleshly strongholds in my life. You don't know, God, the sin which does so easily beset me, God. You know what God says? Paid! That's why He tells you every single morning His mercies are new every day. That's why He tells you where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. So God not only paid the sin debt, He paid it all. Listen, let me go again and close with this. You can go ahead and stand. Go ahead and stand. Henry, are you on your feet yet? God dresses in the flesh of man, as the Shona people of Zimbabwe says. God is in Christ reconciling to the world to himself. Now I want you to look closely here. When God, watch this, when God steps into this creation in Jesus Christ, watch this, watch closely. When he does this, sin, shoop, have you ever noticed how demons came running to him? Have you ever noticed the demonic activity around Jesus? All hell? And now it's all subservient to him. Sin comes to him. Dr. Brantley, the Ebola survivor. Has it ever occurred to you, isn't it strange that this doctor, this missionary, this man who had planted his life in the midst of the disease of Ebola, that the disease grabbed his body, clung to his body. And my friend now, do you know what they're doing with his blood? Here, 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 here. Because his blood has antibodies in it that are curing other people of Ebola. Jesus Christ. That's what he's done. He's paid your sin debt. You say, well, yeah, but that's the past. And, you know, what about I still got some battles and I'm still struggling. And, uh, man, the, the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies, is a continually, continually telling me. Let me tell you what the devil does. When you fail, when you fall short, when there's a stronghold in your life, when the sin that thus so easily besets, besets you lifts its ugly head, the accuser of the brethren is hounding you. He is the accuser of the brethren. He's the father of lies. He's saying, don't pray. There's no need in praying, you hypocrite. Get up off your knees. Don't pray. God says if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive. Your enemy's saying, listen, your enemy is condemning. The Holy Spirit is convicting. Your enemy's telling you, you're worthless, you're no good, shut up, don't pray, put that Bible down. I can't believe you're trying to read the Bible right now. What you did last night, what you did last week, that thought you had, that thing that you drank that you did, you worthless. You're not in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're probably not even saved. Put that Bible down, give it up, throw in the towel, you'll never change. Accuser of the brethren, father of lies, sin, 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 sin. And Christ is saying, paid, 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 past, present, 
future. Your sin debt, my sin debt, put on His account. Nailed to the cross, covered, paid for. His righteousness has been credited to your account. You listen. You tell the accuser of the brethren, I am a child of the King. And in the eyes of God, robed in the robes of righteousness, in His robes, I am sinless. I am a sinless saint. My friend Paul said in Galatians 3.3, he said, I'm, I'm amazed that you're so bewitched. How come you started by grace and now you're trying to walk by the law? He closes Genesis 15 by telling him it's going to be tough. You know what he tells him? He puts him in a deep sleep. And he says to Abram, he says, Your lineage, those stars, your descendants, they'll go into captivity. They'll go into slavery. And they'll be there for 400 years under the bondage of Egypt. He's preparing the man the woman of God. My friend, he will prepare you and I for the cost of following him. Blessed are ye when men revile you and persecute you, say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake, Jesus said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For so did they the prophets who were before you. He said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked that he might sift you, but I prayed for you. And, may, and I pray that your faith will not fail. And when you come through this, strengthen the brothers. He said, in the world you'll have tribulation. He said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. He said to Abram, Abram, it's going to be hard, but I will deliver your descendants. They will come back to this land. And May 15, 1948, 2,000 years later, God gathered them from Africa, from Europe, from the United States and around the world. He wrapped his arms around the globe and he said to the Jew, it is time to come home. It has never happened in history among no people of the world. Why? Because it could be he's getting ready to come home and get us. Are you ready? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, that you love us. We pray, dear Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit, dear Lord, to be upon us right now. We pray, dear Lord, that the enemy, our enemy, Satan, the enemy of our soul, the enemy of our spirit, the enemy that can so easily steal our joy because he accuses us, he slanders us, just like he did Job, he does to each one of us. May we begin to understand that the hinge of grace the doors of grace swing open on the hinge of faith. We thank you, dear Lord, that when we put our faith and our trust in you and we believe in you, that our sin debt has been, has been paid and that the righteousness of Christ has been credited to our account. And when we die and stand before you, Father, you don't see Jeff. You see Jesus. Why did Paul repeatedly say in Ephesians, in Christ? For we are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. The Shona people of Zimbabwe say the Chipu Chamwadi, the gift of God.
We praise you, dear Lord. We can walk in victory because our sin has been covered. I pray, dear Lord, if there's one here, though, that in all honesty, they don't know that freedom. They don't understand what that means because they've never experienced it. I pray, dear Lord, that through simple childlike faith, that even right now, they would simply pray and cry out, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I repent of my sin. Forgive me. Come into my heart and be my Lord, my Master, my Savior. I thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray if someone prays this prayer and they prayed it and they meant it, I pray, dear Lord, today that they would get off, as Reggie said, that path of pleasure. And they would begin to step on that path of promise. It's a, it's a narrow path. It's a narrow path. It's a hard path. But as you said in Luke 13, when somebody said, Lord, will only a few be saved? You looked at that man and said, you must agonisomai, ice ericomai, agony. That word agony, agonisomai, ice ericomai. You must agonize to enter the narrow way. The narrow way can be hard, just like Abram was told. But the path of promise is the path of blessing and the path of your presence. So Lord, if someone is inviting you in, I pray that they'll come. Reggie, Ledge, Brother Jeff, someone here that they'll say, come forward and say, I prayed that prayer and I meant it. Some may need to come to this altar and recommit. Some may need to come and plant their life in this church. May they do that today. In the name of Jesus.